I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking about D-Day. So grab your allied forces. And let's get civical. Welcome back to Let's Get Civical. I'm Lizzie Stewart. And I am Arden Walentowski. And it's June. Holy freaking crap. Wow. It is June of 2021, which is just absolutely illegal. (laughs) (laughs) Should be thrown in jail. Should be should be handcuffed, throw away the key, the fact that it's June. I just feel like May didn't happen. I think because I was so busy in the month of May that it's yep. truly like, I, I feel like I've just woken up and it's June. I've lost the month. 
And that's my hot take. That it is a correct hot take. I feel like I've lost the month. There's just been so much happening. And I, all I wanted to yeah. do was to really, was to get to yesterday because that was when my last assignments for school for my MFA program were due. And I was like, I simply yeah. must, I just need Rest. to get to that day. And I, yeah. I did it. I did it. I wrote a 14 page paper in a day yesterday, but I did it. I Woo! did it. Like, yeah, yeah. Ugh. I don't know if anybody else had crazy maze, but there was something. Uh, the planets were doing something. It feels like everybody was just busy, busy. And now I'm hoping that June just we ease into the summer. We say hello, summer. How are you doing? How are you doing? And there's no better way to start that off than by talking about the one, the only. D-Day. Like, weirdly, it's celebratory, but also obviously, like... Hard and full of trauma and sorrow Trauma and hard and, like... Yeah, it was not a... Such a mixture of emotions, but a really big day. And I feel like it's interesting to me that D-Day isn't up there in, like, the federal holidays does that seem weird i mean i guess it's right after memorial day so they probably get lumped in together but like d-day was d-day's big d-day is big it's interesting though like if you look at the federal holidays they very rarely like focus on like in a like fourth of july i feel like is the only one that focuses on an event like the founding of our fair nation the other ones are like people's birthdays and like we're gonna celebrate veterans or people who die you know it's like more of Mm -hmm. a like all-encompassing catch-all event also it took them to like very recently to like build a world war ii memorial so like right the the idea of like they would be like federal (laughs) holiday d-day it just seems very forward-thinking that is forward thinking. I don't know. I guess it's like I. I guess my. I guess if you were gonna do any, like, uh, holiday of any battle, probably should be this. This one would be in the top three for sure. For sure, I would argue. For sure, just purely by like the amount of people who went, the amount of people who yeah. died, the amount of yeah. like resources like yes. just the coordination of it all the the, the mean, line the scheming the that it took War. to get it to come through like yes yes 100%. 100% I'm excited I mean obviously I think like most people World War II it I have such an interest in it for so many reasons you know it's obviously I think I would argue one of the most complex wars we've engaged in mm-hmm. um, as far as scope and also like just the many layers of what was going on in the various parts of the world yeah so i'm very excited to talk about it i feel like have we done really much on world war ii i feel like we We haven't haven't. we haven't like we've talked about it in terms of like circled around it yeah 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 like we've uh like talked about soldiers who served in that or like things that came up things that came up like during that era or like yeah you know but we've we talked haven't a lot actually about talked FDR. about yeah yeah and we have, but we haven't talked a lot about we haven't talked really any about world war ii specifically yeah i feel like this is our first bit of scratching the surface of world war ii because i mean obviously it'll take us a million episodes to really 
unpack all of the different layers of it, but I'm excited to get started. And what better way, what better place to start than at the end? So <laughs> with that, do you want to talk about today's Sarsharan and Sarses before we hop in? Yes, 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 yes. Today's Sarsha, Ronan, Sarsha's are, we know what we love it, history.com. Mm, love. The National World War II Museum. Love. And the World War II Memorial website. They're the official Perfection. website for the World War II Memorial. Yeah. Perfection. Obsessed yeah. with that. Mm -hmm. Three great sources. So let's start off with the very basics of just sort of laying the foundation of World War II, just to get our ducks in a row before we hop in to D-Day. So this is all coming from history.com. During World War II, which was from 1939 to 1945, the Battle of Normandy, which lasted from June 1944 to August 1944, resulted in the Allied liberation of Western Europe from Nazi Germany's control. Codenamed Operation Overlord, which yeah, right? cannot be overlooked. No. I, it cannot this... be overlooked that we are four, five years into a devastating global war, and yet the people in charge still have the wherewithal, mm -hmm. the, the, the space to say, all right, man, what are we going to call this? I know. Let's call it Operation Overlord. I love it. Let's do it's it. It's so good. The people right. who named it should have been naming all of the things in American history. Absolutely. Operation Overlord? Okay. So, codename Operation Overlord. Um, the battle began on June 6, 1944. So, this would also become known as what we are talking about, D-Day, in which some 156,000 American, British, and Canadian forces landed on five beaches across a 50-mile stretch of heavily fortified coast of France's Normandy region. I didn't realize Canada was a part of this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, so, sorry to our Canadian <laughs> uh, brethren. I, I truly, it, it, to me, it was always... I, it was always an American, British, and French thing. It didn't yep. occur to me that Canada was there, too. Welcome to the party, Canada. Yeah, they were there. The invasion, D-Day, was one of the largest amphibious military assaults. Good job. Well I done. I literally saw the word amphibious and thought, that's not what's written. And then it was. It's literally amphibious. Yep. It was one of the largest amphibious military assaults in history and required extensive planning. Prior to D-Day, the Allies conducted a large-scale deception campaign designed to mislead the Germans about the intended invasion target. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. A red herring. By late August 1944, all of northern France had been liberated, and by the following spring, the Allies had defeated the Germans. The Normandy landings have been called the beginning of the end of the war in Europe. So this, yes, marks, I think, sort of on the whole, the beginning of the end of the World War to begin with. Like, this was a huge, huge turning point. Yeah, And yeah. then from then on, it was just like, bow, we're taking you down here, we're taking you down here. And then finally, after several months, got the Pacific squared away as well. So yeah. big day, D-Day. It was a big day. It was a big day. 
and there was a lot that went into planning it. I mean, coordinating with multiple countries. countries. I think I, I don't think I put it in the notes, but at some point I read that there were like twelve full ass countries involved in this. Invasion. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just we can't con- we cannot conceptualize it. No, like all the troops, all of the tanks, like all of the like the fooling of Germany, like the whole bit of it. It took yeah. it was like quite astounding that U.S. dot really pulled it out and did not fuck it up like we have I know. so frequently in recent history. I mean, cuz it was they were not, we were not in good shape for a good portion leading up to D-Day with I mean, Ger- Germany had made some serious advances oh, and yeah. had basically taken over huge chunk of France, if not all of France at this point. And the fact that we were able to come back was not a guaranteed thing. I think now it's like, yeah, of course the U.S. and the Allied forces came back and won, but it really was touching. It was not a for sure thing. A lot of luck on that day for sure. Oh really could have. A real cut so very happy this turned out the way it did. <laughs> for seriously, so like we said, there was a lot that went into preparing for the landing on the Normandy beaches. So at the Tehran conference in August of 1943, Allied leaders scheduled Operation Overlord to take place <laughs> on or about May 1st, 1944. So they had originally planned it to be like earlier in sure the war. Sure. And yeah. they were probably like, you know what? May is a busy month for everybody. Let's, we're going to, a blink of an eye, May is going to be gone. So let's just shoot for June. Let's shoot for June. In the meantime, between like deciding that they wanted to do this and then actual launch day, they prepared for the attack. Trucks, tanks, and tens of thousands of troops poured into England. This is coming from history.com. And this in particular is coming from the World War II Museum. After World War II began, Germany invaded and occupied northwestern France beginning in May of 1940. The Americans entered the war in December of 1941, and by 1942, they and the British, who had been evacuated from the beaches of Dunkirk in May 1940, were considering the possibility of a major Allied invasion across the English Channel. So, like, the Americans get in the war, the British have been in the war being like, where the fuck you been, you dot s dot, like, thank you for coming to the table finally. Yes, it's been two years, actually. It's been two uh, years, welcome. actually. Welcome, welcome. Please welcome, and also SOS, and yes. thank you, and please now. Please don't help us, because we have, we are at a loss as to, like, they couldn't handle it themselves. No. I mean, and really, who could? It's You're talking lot. about, like, so many countries, and just insane. So they prepared for the invasion. The following year, Allied plans for a cross-channel invasion began to wrap up. In November 1943, Adolf Hitler, who was aware of the threat of an invasion along France's northern coast, put Erwin Rommel in charge of spearheading defense operations in the region, even though the Germans did not know exactly where the Allies would strike. I love it. Yeah. I love it. He's like, Erwin, I have a job for you. I want you to stop the invasion. Erwin's like, amazing. Where's the invasion? Hitler's like, I don't know. But you've got to, let's let's nip it in the bud. Yep. And Erwin's like, amazing. Thank you for giving me the impossible perfect. task of This sounds predicting. like a perfect job for me. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. No worries. We will yeah. win this. Like, what the heck? 
So Hitler charged Rommel with finishing the Atlantic Wall, which I didn't okay. know existed. Did not know there was a wall in the mix. I did not know Never there was good. a wall. No. Which was a 2,400-mile fortification of bunkers, landmines, and beach and water obstacles. <laughs> it's like an obstacle course. <laughs> right. And, I, like, I wonder – so – Part of me, I've been to Omaha Beach. I've been to some of the beaches in Normandy. And when you, mm-hmm. like, and the, the bunkers are still there. And they're, like, teeny tiny little, like, you can't, you can't, like, stand up and walk in them. And so you're, like, were the Germans super tiny people? Or are we just building small buildings? <laughs> but so, like, I think Low also this wall. Yeah. I think the wall is, like, not a wall. It's, like, you know. A fence. Like, it's a, it's like a but like a loosely a loose fence of like bunkers scattered and like yeah you, yeah because they're so close together like it might as well be a fence like if somebody was coming yeah. towards them like the people from the bunkers next door could run out and be like hold up or like you know right. shoot well, them from the windows like, like you it's have not to, a it can't be too wall, tall but... or you're right you you can't shoot them because the walls in front of you well you there are I mean? windows there are windows oh okay so it's... which. It's a house. <laughs> it's a, they, they look like tiny, very tiny, tiny houses. houses. It's tiny house nation yeah. on the beaches of Normandy. Yeah. I love that. I feel like also they were probably like the, we're hoping that the landmines do the majority of the work here. Yes. We're really, we're, the wall is a, is a, let's call it an afterthought. It's sort of like last case scenario. You can't get through cause there's a wall. Best yep. case scenario, our landmines blow you up. Yep. I don't know. I'm just thinking like a general. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I that's am. a that's a good. Those are good general train of thoughts. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. No problem. I got you. Support you. Love you. So then, in January of 1944, General Dwight D. Eisenhower was appointed commander of Operation Overlord. So we're making Heck movements. Yeah. We're appointing top generals to lead it. Somebody's got to coordinate all of the things and the people. Great. Eisenhower, let's go. I hope that when he ran for president, that he campaigned on the fact that he was commander of Operation Overlord and used that that verbiage. Like, yeah. how can you win against the commander of Operation Overlord? You don't. Who ran against Eisenhower? Nobody knows because they were not the commander of Operation Overlord. Lost they don't history. matter. They don't matter. Does not matter. So then in the months and weeks before D-Day, the Allies carried out a massive deception operation intended to make the Germans think the main invasion target was Pas de Calais, which was the narrowest point between Britain and France, rather than Normandy. Oh my god, it's like a psych! Yeah, they're like, psych! Normandy is also like a choice, like a area you wouldn't naturally choose if you were going to invade, because... Of the famous Normandy cliffs. Like, you've got to skate. Like, some of those cliffs Get are really cliffs. high. And, like, there are beaches. But then, like, I don't know. The Omaha Beach. Like, you look over the side and you're like, holy shit. Like, it's not. Yeah. Like, you just, like, swim up onto the beach and, like, hello, boys. You hey, know, we're, gentlemen. We're, How's hey, it going? we're here to end this war. Knock, knock. No. You, like, scale the fucking wall. Yeah. So. Yeah, so it was, you know, not a likely place for the Allies to choose. It made more sense that they would choose this, like, narrow plot of land that they could more easily defend. So they're trying to fool the Germans. And I love that. Eisenhower selected June 5th, originally, 1944, as the date for the invasion. However, poor weather Mm -hmm. on the days leading up to the operation 
caused it to be delayed for 24 hours. I mean, look. Rain ruins everything. Weddings, picnics. D-Day. You name it. Invasions. <laughs> you name it. I'm yeah. with Eisenhower. You want the... Because you have one shot at this, right? Yes. We've been planning Operation Overlord for months and or a year at this point. We're not going to blow it because of because of overcast skies. You know, like, we're not no. going to blow it. No. I get it. I'm with Eisenhower. We have to proceed with caution. Yeah, 100%. The sixth is just as good as the fifth. 100%. Just nobody say anything. Yep. I love it. So then on the morning of June 5th, after his meteorologist predicted improved conditions for the following day, Eisenhower gave the go-ahead for Operation Overlord. He told the troops, quote, you are about to embark upon the Great Crusade, toward which we have striven. Striven? 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 Striven. You, oh, striven? Because you strive. Striven. You strive. Striven. But then I guess you would striven? Striven sounds weird. Striven. It does. It does sound weird. Okay. Striven. Toward which we have striven these many months, the eyes of the world are upon you. I don't think it's a strong quote. I, yeah. I think, I don't know. I'm thinking of like, I'm thinking of like Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Yeah. We, uh, we are Rohan. We arrive at Minas Tirith. There's like one billion orcs. And King Theoden comes up and is like, let's freaking go. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is not Bill Pullman in Independence Day where he says, it is we not will Bill not Pullman go quietly Day, yes. into the night. We will not vanish without a yeah. fight. We're going to live yeah. on. No, this is, it's mediocre at best. It's yeah. Mediocre. I feel I would like imagine we should have gotten a second draft, you know? Yes, yes, yes. I imagine that it would have come off better, better in person from Dwight D. Eisenhower than it did me reading it just now. Yes. But I completely yes. agree. It's also, he's like. The eyes of the world are upon you. Like, it's up to you, brave men, to go save the... Like, just... Yeah, I think just like the eyes key. of the world are upon you. Strong ending. Weak beginning. Yeah. Pretty fine finish. Yes. Fine fine enough finish. I think it's because he's using striving. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not the word you need to use. No. It's also like, let's not talk about the planning process. Let's talk about now. Yeah. Like... Like, let's talk about the fact that this is a world war that we're trying to end here. Not, right. hey guys, we've been at the we've been at the drawing table for 365 days. Let's not blow it now. How right. about, you know, your brethren have been killed by you know Germans. Let's get them. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's sort get of the anything. bastards who who killed your family. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then later that day, more than 5,000 ships and landing craft carrying troops and supplies left England for the trip across the channel to France, where more than 11,000 aircraft were mobilized to provide air cover and support for the invasion. So they're like, they've got land things, they've got water things, they've got air things. Like, they're really... They're it, like, we're, we're, this, is, this is a three-pronged attack. Yeah. Land, water, and air. And air. And I love that the elements really... Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. 
and you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. Let's talk about the invasion. Dun, 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 dun. Operation Overlord invasion. So by dawn on June 6th, thousands of paratroopers and glider troops were already on the ground behind enemy lines, securing bridges and exit roads. Super cool. Super cool. Really Their cool. job was to blow up bridges, sabotage railroad lines, and take other measures to prevent the enemy from rushing reinforcements to the invasion beaches. Okay, we're thinking, we're thinking like, let's get on the inside. Let's yes. sabotage them. So they can't call in reinforcements. They're in for a rude awakening. It's like, it's like when somebody ties your shoes together underneath the desk and then you try to walk. Yeah. Boom. Boom. Falling you fall on, on your ground. face. How are you going to get to me if there ain't no bridge? Exactly right. I can't believe I have this word again, but the amphibious invasion began at 6.30 a.m. on June 6th. Right? Dang, it's early. Yep. The British and Canadians overcame light opposition to capture beaches codenamed Gold, Juno, and Sword, as did the Americans at Utah Beach. Most of the Americans were packed into flat-bottom Higgins boats launched from troop transports 10 miles from the French coastline. Oh, God. Vomit filled the bottom of the boats as water kept rushing in over the gunwales. The green-faced men had to bail this vile stew with their helmets. Poor men. I know. All this description is coming from the World War II Museum, by the way. Though it was cold, the men were sweating. I mean, yeah, like they're yes. literally going I can think of into... no better reason than to stress sweat in that situation. Yeah. I mean, because there is certainly no guarantee of victory. They have, there's such a high level of risk. Like the fact mm-hmm. that this ended up being a success and a major success was such an act of God. Because it yep. could have very well been that they got onto the the French shore and the Germans were ready. You know, there was no guarantee that the Germans didn't know that this was happening. Yeah. The fiercest fighting was on Omaha beach where the enemy was positioned on steep cliffs that commanded the long flat shoreline. Troops leapt from their landing boats and were pinned down for hours by murderous machine gun fire that turned the beach into a vast killing field. So yeah, I mean, if you ever seen star Wars, if you have the high ground, it's a real advantage. In it is a real advantage. And so the Germans had the high ground. 
Yes, and, and it's crazy because you can see the like, just the the craters from, like, bombs. I'm sure. Yeah. Are, it's yeah. like you know, here's a bunker, here's a crater, here's a bunker, here's a crater. I mean, like now it's all pretty and like, it's lush flowing grass and whatever. But like you, they're there. The craters are there. Yeah. Yeah. By midday, the Americans had surmounted the cliffs and taken Omaha Beach at a heavy cost. Over 4,700 killed, wounded, or missing out of the total of approximately 35,000 who came ashore that day. A loss rate of more than 13%. So it's a pretty brutal uh, devastation at Omaha Beach for the American troops. But we did overcome the Germans. By nightfall, about 175,000 Allied troops and 50,000 vehicles were ashore with nearly a million more men on the way that summer. So, a very brutal... It's horrible. And, like, you you can go to um, the... So, like, each of the... Well, I, we went to the cemetery at Omaha Beach, and it's just, I mean... It's like one of the most profound things I've ever seen. It's it's crazy. It's just like fields it's and fields. It's all D-Day soldiers? Uh, yeah. Or, wow. Yeah. It's just fields and fields of like those white crosses. And some of mm-hmm. them, most of them have like names on them, but some of them don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can, and then like when you walk in, there's like kind of like a, a crescent shaped wall where like the people who died, their names are etched all you know on the wall. It's it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And the yeah. day we went was like super sunny, and and it was probably close to June, but it was like, and I, I went with uh, a friend of mine who is French, and so her obviously her father's French, and so we like it was just kind of like it was just so special to be there with like as an American with people who yeah were of a different nationality, but like also like you know of a nationality that like it was it's their land and yeah when they were also severely impacted you know like so it was it is crazy that it's it's one of those rare instances where this victory is celebrated across many countries yeah you know because we usually talk about war specific battles or victories or losses in solely the context of the u.s you know like the major things that we th- see, but this one, it's like, you know, the British celebrate D-Day, the French celebrate D-Day, yeah. like, I think everybody that's why, celebrates D-Day. Yeah, I think that's why, not th- that I have a favorite war, but I feel like World War II is a war that, like, I I love to learn about, because it just, it's like, it's everybody, and not that World War One yeah. wasn't, but I feel like also the reasons for World War Two are so just... Yeah. Mortifying and, you know, yeah. like, it's just yeah. largely impactful just on, like, an emotional and ethical scale writ large that yeah. it just feels like, how can you not really connect to it? Yeah. Well, and it's like, I'm obviously glad that we won World War One, but, like, really glad we won World War Two. Oh, fuck yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um... <laughs> They're invading mm-hmm. Normandy in order to defeat the Germans. So we'll just give you a little bit of Germany's response. So this is coming from history.com. For their part, the Germans suffered from confusion in the ranks and the absence of celebrated Commander Rommel, who was away on leave. Dang, what a bad day to take a holiday. Yeah, what a bad day wow. to go for a hike with your family. Do you think that was 
planned? Like, do you think that the the U.S. would, or not the U.S., the Allies were aware of his, that he wasn't going to be there? Or Nothing I found think it was said that luck? they were. Yeah, I don't, okay. nothing I found said that they were. I, like, uh, maybe, but, you know, maybe somebody high up knew that. But I don't know how they would, I mean, obviously there were spies, I'm sure. But, like, yeah, you know, it's maybe they did. Who knows? No, I'm just curious. I, I yeah. Because I do think, again, we got... This was obviously Super a well-planned attack, but this was really lucky. Yep. That really the guy, lucky that this panned out. Yeah, because then the Germans under him were like, uh, what do we do? Uh, um, should we sorry. fire back? Like, what? We, we didn't uh, prepare uh, for this. I, yeah. <laughs> Who's in charge now? Who's in charge now? At first, Hitler believed the invasion was a fake that was designed to distract the Germans from a coming attack north of the Seine River. He refused to release nearby divisions to join the counterattack. Reinforcements had to be called back from further afield, <laughs> causing delays. So, like, not only is the commander guy not there, Hitler is also like, no, that's not, no, they're going to attack Paris. Like, why it's, not you attack? it's not real. They're gonna it's attack not real. We're not else. sending you troops. They're going to attack Paris. And he refused to send troops. Yeah. He also hesitated in calling for armored divisions to help in defense. Thank you. Oh my God, did nobody prepare for this? Jesus Christ. Nobody prepared. They were like, like for as much planning as the Allied forces had, the Germans were like, you're going to do what when we're, oh, you're here now? Hold, just, we'll be right there. Hold on, hold on, let me me get my bearings. Yeah, let Uh, me put my pants on. I got to go answer the door. Real quick, check the north before we do anything. Nothing from the north? Okay, uh, let's check the south, actually. No? Okay. Uh, (laughs) Let's, okay, it's here. It's here. Love it. Moreover, the Germans were hampered by effective Allied air support, which took out many key bridges and forced the Germans to take long detours, as well as efficient Allied naval support, which helped protect advancing Allied troops. So, like, yeah. they also like they woke up to this in the morning and like their bridges were gone. Like, if you, they're like, okay. I'm not advocating <laughs> for this. I'm not saying that, but like, if you were gonna like, I don't know, if, like if this was New York and you took out GW, like that's it. The whole thing. That's like, it. That's it. There's nothing. Like, we you, really rely you on our chaos. You cause chaos and destruction for yeah. hours, days, while it all sorts yeah. itself out. And people are stranded. So, like... Well, it's clear that the the Allies obviously thought about this, not just from, like, the how they were going to get on the beach and what was going to happen once they got onto Normandy, but they thought through every potential response that the Germans would have... And tried to take out as many of those responses from being able to happen. Yeah. So it's really like a full, like, think of every type of scenario that could unfold with this invasion. And let's try and counteract. Like, let's play. They Allies are playing offense and defense at the same time. Yep. And special teams. And they were the referee on D-Day. Crazy. So with that said, let's talk about the aftermath, because obviously, like we said, D-Day huge, and its effects even, I would say, bigger. So less than a week later, on June 11th, the beaches were fully secured, and over 326,000 troops, more than 50,000 vehicles, and some 100,000 tons of equipment had landed at Normandy, so we wasted no time. Mm Mm-mm. In the ensuing weeks, the Allies fought their way across the Normandy countryside in the face of determined German resistance, as well as a dense landscape of marshes and hedge hedge groves, hedge groves, 
Hedgerows. Hedgerows, I think. Foliage. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. By the end of June, the Allies had seized the vital port of, oh boy, Cherbourg. Cherbourg. I didn't know. I didn't know you could say Borg in French. Cherbourg. (laughs) Well, uh, Cherbourg. Yeah. Cherbourg. Okay, they seized the vital port of Cherbourg, landed approximately eight hundred and fifty thousand men and one hundred and fifty thousand vehicles in Normandy, and were poised to continue their march across France. By the end of August 1944, the Allies had reached the Seine River, Paris was liberated, and the Germans had been removed from northwestern France, effectively concluding the Battle of Normandy. The Allied forces then prepared to enter Germany, where they would meet up with Soviet troops moving in from the east. I forget that the Soviet Union is playing kind of on our side. Yeah. I totally forget that they're that they're part of this sometimes. They're the yeah, they're like they're the part of the Allied forces in this. And I know. They like when they when the US went in to, you know, liberate a lot of the camps, like they then there's something also a little bit weird, like they like the like the Allied troops went in to liberate them and then some of them like the Soviets then like did the work afterwards to like help Yeah. Like, go through it all. Yeah. But I, there's also, like, something weird about, like, when I was in, um, I went to Zaxenhausen a couple years ago, and that's what happened there. Like, the Allied forces liberated it, but then it ended up being, like, a Soviet, like, I think people just stayed there for a while because they didn't mm-hmm. have any place to go, and it was sure. run by the Soviets, and, like, it's just, like, that whole part of it, I, like, had never really thought about, like, which is so silly because if you're kidnapped if your entire family is kidnapped and your home is taken away and then you're like liberated like where the fuck do you go like where are you supposed to go it's like everywhere is destroyed destroyed it's It's just a war zone where are you gonna yeah anywho the soviets are here and they're playing for our team the normandy invasion began to turn the tide against the nazis a significant psychological blow. It also prevented Hitler from sending troops to France to build up his Eastern front against the advancing Soviets. So Hitler had all these grand plans. He had all these plans. He was like, I'm going to, I'm going to put so much. He put all of his eggs in France's basket. And then we took his basket away and he had Mm -hmm. no more eggs. And then he, it started to unfold basically. Yep. The following spring, on May 8, 1945, the Allies formally accepted the unconditional surrender of Nazi Germany. Hitler had committed suicide a week earlier on April 30th. So, yeah, I mean, what, less than a year later after, yeah. you know, if we if we say that basically Normandy pretty much ended in August, you're talking about, what, eight months later, the war is over, like, this is you turn the page here. This is yeah. the this is the this is where you trace it back to is this battle. Yeah, hundred percent for sure for sure. So there is a World War Two. There there are World War Two memorials all over. A lot of them are really beautiful. Um, I highly recommend the Holocaust Memorial that's in mm. Berlin, which is mm-hmm. like kind of astounding. But so we're going to talk about the World War Two memorial. 
that's in the U.S. It's located in Bedford, Virginia, and it's in Bedford, Virginia for a good reason. So I should say this is all coming from the World War II Memorial website. So this is them saying why they are where they are. Like 11 other Virginia communities, Bedford provided a company of soldiers, Company A, to the 29th Infantry Division when the National Guard's 116th Infantry Regiment was activated on February 3rd, 1941. Some 30 Bedford soldiers were still in that company on D-Day. Several more from Bedford were in other D-Day companies, including one who two years earlier had been reassigned from the 116th Infantry to the 1st Infantry Division. So this particular soldier had already landed in northern Africa and Sicily before coming ashore on D-Day. Like this was his at Omaha Beach. Like this was his first. Mm, This is his third. Sorry, his third like landing for (laughs) the war. And I just can't even imagine that. So then by day's end on D-Day, 19 of the company's Bedford soldiers were dead. Mm. Two more Bedford soldiers died later in the Normandy campaign, as did yet another two assigned to other 116th Infantry companies. Bedford's population in 1944 was about 3,200 people. Proportionally, this community suffered the nation's severest D-Day losses. They lost, Mm. like, almost all of the men that they sent. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Recognizing Bedford as emblematic of all communities, large and small, whose citizen soldiers served on D-Day, Congress warranted the establishment of the National D-Day, D-Day Memorial in Bedford. Yeah. Sounds sounds good to me. I have no I love. I mean, our reasons aren't always clear, and I'm just, I, I'm with this you 100%. This is so clear. I am with you 100%. So clear. The monument receives an average of 60,000 visitors a year and is a profound addition to America's war memorials. Initiated by D-Day veteran J. Robert Bob Slaughter, the structure encompasses more than 50 acres at the base of the Blue Ridge Mountains, which just sounds so peaceful. Sounds so pretty, yeah. At its center stands a monumental 44-foot-tall arch embellished by the military name Overlord. That was given... Yes! Yeah, right? They fucking did it right. That was given to the crucial operation. The arch is highlighted by a reflecting pool that surrounds a captivating scene that is symbolic of the arduous trudge soldiers soldiers made onto the bloodstained beaches of Normandy, France. Like, Mm. I, 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 like this needs to go on my like things to see in America list. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't, I didn't know this was a thing. I'm so interested in it, and I'll post a picture of this on our Instagram. So go over there to see a picture of the memorial because yeah i think i mean just the fact that the arch is named overlord is like so good it's correct so good did not miss it so good they they hit the nail on the head yep with this one i think but yeah i mean that's that's d-day it really makes me like i just want to i want to do like only episodes about world war (laughs) ii I know, I know. I just I, this is this needs to be a World War II podcast. I mean, it's not. We obviously will mix it up, but I think it's so appropriate that we started with D Day, even though it is the beginning of the end of the war. Yeah, because I think it's like I think it's just the perfect. It was just the perfect storm of of bravery, of ingenuity, of of leadership of like yep. all of the things that you would that like you see in, in the movies when you see movies about war it's like it all happened in this one battle it's like luck yeah we said you know 
just crazy circumstances and every and the fact that the fact that we won is just so insane. Yeah. There's we no won. reason that we should have won. No. Except just like not just luck because there was obviously so much preparation, but dang, it's crazy that the Germans weren't more prepared. No, and that they like made decisions against they made bad decisions. their better judgment. Yeah, they made poor Nobody made decisions. a good decision no. that day. No. Oh no. man. Yeah. But that I think this is a great start to our World War II uh, journey. More to come, obviously. Happy D-Day to all. Again, it's going to be on June 6th. So definitely take a moment to appreciate, you know, just everything around you. Because this this could have been a very different outcome. And we could be living in a very different world had it not have gone the way it did. So with that, I would just like to say, as always, we love you so, so much. And if you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Cynical. You can rate us. You can review us. You can subscribe to us. We love you so, so much. And we will see you next Wednesday. Goodbye.